Good morning, everyone. Please stand for the reading of God's word. The scripture text that we will be studying this morning is Mark chapter 7, verses 24 through 30. This particular passage can be found on page 492 of the blue ESV Bibles, and those are located in the back pocket seat cover in the seats in front of you. And as um, usual, those Bibles are available um, for you to not only use during service, but they're available for you to take home if you do not have a Bible at home. Once again, we'll be reading Mark chapter 7, verses 24 through 30. Hear the word of the Lord. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know. Yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed, and the demon gone. Thus says God's word. Let's pray. Father, you are holy. You are mighty God, and you sit on your throne And by your grace, you call your people through the hearing of your word and the working of your Holy Spirit. So, Father, I pray this morning that as that you would help me, a lowly man, to communicate your word, Father, that by the power of your spirit, I would preach the truth rightly, Father, with all patience and right judgment. Father, I pray for your people that by your spirit, we would be able to hear your word this morning. That your word would seek deep into our hearts, Lord. We would be convicted, rebuked, encouraged, lifted up, and full of hope because of your word this morning. We thank you, Father, for the grace that you have given us to gather to hear the preaching of your word. And we pray that you would use it for the growth of your church here at Northridge this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. All right, so I was excited for this passage when Pastor told me that this was the text that I would be speaking on this morning. I was excited because I read the text and I wasn't exactly sure at first what to make of it. It seems very interesting, but what I liked about it was it drove me to really sink into the word. And to quote John Owen, I think the things that come to you with the most power go from you with the most power. So hopefully uh, that is what this word will do is I begin to peel this this scripture apart and see what the Lord had to tell us through this. Um, it really uh, convicted me and encouraged me. So before we get into our text, I want to kind of get your minds working a little bit. In this text, we're going to see three key elements. We're going to see promises fulfilled. We're going to see a kingdom foreshadowed. And we're going to see Christ glorified. But something that we also might find as we read our text this morning, and I would, and I want to encourage you with this to, to be cautious and patient 
but to hear the words is it's very easy to be offended at the words of Jesus this morning. Um, I think we're going to see that as we dive into this text, but I would encourage you, before we're quick to be offended, let us first remember, one, this is the word of God, and two, um, frankly, God does not bow the knee to our needs, we bow to his. So the title of my sermon this, uh, this morning is, What is Great Faith? What is Great Faith? So let's start here in uh, Mark chapter 7. Also, I want to say, if you want to go ahead in your Bible, open up to Matthew 15, 21, and just kind of put maybe a little tab in your Bible, because we're going to be going back and forth. Uh, this uh, particular passage is explained both in Matthew and in Mark, and we're, I'm going to be jumping back and forth, so I'd encourage you, if you want to read along, uh, to kind of keep one finger in Mark and one in Matthew. But it says here, Matthew 24, or Mark 24, 724 says, And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. So we know that Jesus has just come from uh, Jerusalem, basically, that region where he was rebuking the Pharisees for uh, having an act of putting their traditions above the commands of God. Jesus had just rebuked them, and then he uh, continued to correct them when he went on to say, as the pastor preached last week, um, that it is not what goes into us that defiles us, but what comes out of us. And it, most often what you see when you look through Scripture, you'll see Jesus preaching somewhere, gathering a crowd, even collecting a group of Pharisees who are causing problems. And after, he'll go and find a place of solitude, whether to pray or to find rest. And this is important because in this we see the full humanity of Christ. But likewise, we see his full deity as we will, as we have seen through his word and will continue to see. So Jesus came to this area, and then if you read on in verse 24, it says, And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. I think it's interesting there that it says he went to the house and didn't want anyone to know he was in this region of Tyre and Sidon. And it, but it, it interestingly points out, but he could not be hidden. If you'll turn with me in your Bibles real quick to Jeremiah 29. Verse 12. I decided not to put the note right in front of me because I think it's more helpful if I'm turning there with you. Uh, Jeremiah 29, verse 12 says this, And then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places, uh, from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. This is interesting when we see this because what we see is this, this common characteristic of Christ and the fact that he will be found by those who seek him by faith. We just heard the reading of the passage and, spoiler alert, she finds him. But it, I think it's interesting that it says he could not be hidden. He could not be hidden. I think it's interesting because God tells us here in Jeremiah that those who seek the Lord with all their heart, he will be found by them. And this is a great encouragement. 
Let us be encouraged. Let us be encouraged when we share the gospel. Let us be encouraged when we hear the word that when we seek by faith, he will be found. I think this is um, sometimes uh, a great encouragement when you think about, um, you know, often I think when we think of uh, the preservation of the saints or we think of. Uh, the elect of the saints. And I think one of the arguments that comes up often against this topic is what about the one who, you know, wants to know God but doesn't find him? Well, frankly, that person does not exist. Any who seek Christ in faith will find him. And that's a great encouragement. This woman had a great need and she sought Jesus in faith. And by God's grace, he was found by her. And this is significant because if we you don't have to turn there, but if you put in your notes in Joshua 13, six, God gave a, a promise that this region of Tyre and Sidon would be his region. He would take over it. He would take dominion over this this land. And frankly, up until this point in history, from the time that promise was made all the way back in Joshua, the land has remained unconquered by the Jewish people. They went and they attacked it, but they were not able to overcome it as they allowed the uh, Canaanites who lived there to continue in their religious practices, and thus it was never completely conquered. But what we see here is now someone, a Canaanite woman, a Gentile, coming and finding Christ by faith. I mentioned earlier the promise fulfilled. What we see here is that although we were unwilling, the people were unwilling and unable, Christ was still going to fulfill his promise. He was going to take dominion over this land, only it would not be this time by the sword. It would be this time by faith. Christ came to be found by his people. By healing this woman and her daughter... He gave her even more faith to continue on. Now, now he has taken it by saving the woman. The next thing I want to point out is a kingdom foreshadowed. We read here Mark seven twenty five says this. So I got to turn back to it. Mark seven twenty five says, but immediately. A, uh, but immediately, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. So often what we see when we look at the life of Jesus is we see him foreshadowing what the kingdom of God will be like. He often taught, this is, he would say, listen here, for this is what the kingdom of God will be like. And likewise, a lot of his actions, if not all of them, if you look closely enough, foreshadowed what the workings of the kingdom of God would be like. And here we see the same. In this verse, I want you to take note of three things that occurred. She heard, she came, and she fell down. I want to start with, she heard. I want you to kind of picture with me, this is a woman who has a daughter with an unclean spirit. I can imagine it would have been quite a burden for her. Um, But yet we know in Mark 3 that some people from the region of Tyre and Sidon have heard of Jesus. When Jesus was preaching to the multitude in Mark chapter 3, the region of Tyre and Sidon were listed amongst uh, those who were gathered there. 
But I would imagine this woman was not able to make it, most likely because of her daughter's ailment. Or her daughter being oppressed by a demon. It was probably too much for a journey, too far to go. I don't know what the case. But she had likely at this point had heard of Jesus, but yet been unable to get to him. I can imagine her just sitting at home, working in her garden, doing her work, constantly glancing at her daughter to check on her. And her neighbor comes by and says, hey, hey, let's, uh, I don't know what to call this. Well, let's call her Jill, because I think the Syrophoenician woman is a little bit of a long term. So let's call her Jill. Jill, Jill, I, I need to tell you, did you, did you hear what's going on in Jerusalem? She goes, well, what's, what's going on? Yes, did you hear? A, a Messiah has come. There's a Messiah and he's come. I can just see Jill thinking, oh yes, great. The Jews and another one of their messiahs. I'm sure he's going to live a, lead a great cult and tell them all the great things they must do to lift him up and all these things. And I can just see her neighbor going, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. But you don't understand. This one's different. She paused for a moment. She says, well, well what's different about this man? She says, well, first, this man, he, he comes preaching forgiveness. He comes preaching forgiveness of sins. She goes, hmm, that's a little interesting. Sounds slightly different from most cult leaders, but it's probably just a snag. It's probably just to get me involved and, you know, it's kind of the uh, version of their version of love bombing, maybe. I don't know. Think of some modern way of sucking people into a cult. But she goes, no, no, I, I see, but uh, yeah, that sounds good. You know, that's great. But what, what good is that for me? You know, if he forgives my sins, then what happens? You know, and, she's, uh, she, and I see her neighbor just looking at her saying, no, 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 hold on, Jill. But you don't see, he, he's coming and he's preaching forgiveness of sins, but yet he's healing people. She pauses for a moment. She goes, he's, he's healing people. There's... What do you mean? Yes, there's, there's, he's doing great signs. People are coming from all over and he's, and he's casting uh, demons out of people and he's, he's healing the blind and the lame. And, and there was, there was this one time where there was a group of us and we were, there was a lot of us in a field. We were just trying to, uh, we were listening to his message and we were hungry. We'd followed him for many days and, and he had, from a couple fish and a few loaves of bread, he fed all of us. She goes, what? Are you serious? She goes, yes, yes. Are you sure? Are you sure this really happened? And she says, yes, Jill, go ask, you know, Bill across the street. He was there too. He saw there were 5,000 of us. We saw it. And Jill begins to go, what is this man saying? Well, he's, he's saying he's the Messiah. He's the one talked about from old. He's the son of David. He's the one sent by God to die for our sins if we will only put our faith in Him. Believe and obey. And she begins, her heart begins to sink and melt as she realizes, is this really Him? Is this the one who can heal my daughter? Is this the one who can cast the demon out? I've, I've heard it. And she gets excited. She's like, yes, yes. Okay, yes. I must do that. And she, she thinks, yes, this is the one. I can, I can finally have my daughter healed. This must be the Messiah. Let me go see. But then she looks at her daughter in the room only to realize, oh, yes, I remember. I didn't go last time because we can never make the journey. We can't make it. Only if, only if he would come here. A few days pass on. She continues in her work and her labors. Months go by. Weeks go by. 
And finally, she's sitting in her garden. And the thought of this Messiah hasn't left her mind. The thought of a hope for her daughter's for healing has not left her. And she, she's working in her garden. And her neighbor comes back late into the evening. It's almost dark. And she comes in and says, Jill, Jill, listen. That Messiah I told you about. She says, yes, what about him? I haven't stopped thinking about him. What about him? He's here. He's here. Well, yes, I know he's here. I just can't get to him. No, no. Jill, you don't understand. He's here. He's in Tyre. He's come. And I can see her saying, wait, he's here? Yes, he's here. Well, well, where do I find him? Where can I find this man? Where is he? I I don't know. I was just talking to so-and-so and they saw him come up on the docks. But we, we know he's here, he's come. And she just goes throughout the town, knocking on every door, scouring, finding. Where is this Jesus? Where is this Messiah? I must speak to this man. Mark fifteen twenty two says, She came out crying. Or Mark, um, look here with me in Mark 7.25 or 26. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician at birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her. If we look in Mark, I think it's interesting what Mark highlights here. Mark 15.22, or Matthew 15.22, I'm sorry. Matthew fifteen twenty two, And behold, a Canaanite woman from the region came out crying, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed. She comes crying out in the evening to find Jesus. She says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. My daughter has been oppressed by a demon. And she falls down at the feet of Christ, begging that he would heal his daughter. I think, her daughter, I think this is interesting. When we see, if we think about this in the context of foreshadowing faith, of knowing what faith looks like, I think it's so often that we, we have those who have heard. It seems like there's a lot of gospel proclamations in this country. I would not consider it quite as unreached as other countries and places in the world. This this country is pretty, pretty reached. It's out there. You can find it. Many people have heard, but yet many do not come. They hear of Jesus, but they do not come. How many people, maybe you know someone in your life who you've been working to share the gospel with over and over and you tell them and you tell them and you just want them to understand and know that urge that you have inside of you to come and sit at the feet of Christ, to know who He is, to hear His Word, to have the power of His Spirit work and change your life, to save you from your sin, but yet they just don't come. And then how many of those come, but they do not come in faith. So often, I would say even just about every Sunday, you'll have someone, if not a few people in a Sunday service, who have come to hear. Maybe they know somebody who invited them. Maybe they feel like they should come, but they have not really come in faith. They may be there physically, but their spirit is checked out. They may be there physically, but their mind is somewhere else. They've not come in faith. They've merely come in practice. 
These people are, are much like the young rich ruler who heard of Jesus. He came to Jesus and get this, he even fell at the feet of Jesus. But yet when Jesus commanded him that if you are to follow me, so all you have and give it to the poor and then come and follow me, he walked away Sad, But there was a difference between the rich young ruler and this woman, this Syrophoenician woman. The difference was faith. If you notice, when the rich young ruler came before Christ, he said, Good teacher. Hello, good teacher. But yet, when the Syrophoenician comes, what is she saying? She says, Lord, have mercy on me, son of David. What was important about that? She believed who Jesus was. She said, son of David. She's recognizing that Jesus is who he claims to be. God, the Messiah, our Savior, our Lord. As you'll see in, in, um, in just a minute in Mark, she goes on to say, Lord. You know the difference between a good teacher and a Lord? A good teacher you can come and you can hear and you can sit under, but you can kind of take or leave whatever they say. You know, I'll come to hear a good teacher and I'll hear good things. And I'll say, yeah, that's good. I don't really agree with that, so I'm going to kind of move on. The difference is the Lord says and we do. When there is a Lord and a Lord gives a command, we say, yes, Lord. What must I do to truly be saved? And we follow. In Mark 7.26, it says that she begged. She came before the Lord, begging. Why do you think this woman was begging? Because I can imagine at this point in her life, she had tried everything she probably could to help her daughter to no avail. She had probably tried, sought out physicians like most people. This is common in scripture where we see people having tried many alternative ways to find healing for their ailments or casting out their demons, but yet unable. But she knew, she knew all she needed was Christ. That if she came and could find mercy at the feet of her Lord, if she could find mercy at the feet of God Almighty, the one who created all things and by him all things are sustained, if he would but have mercy on her daughter, it would be enough. But yet, there is something interesting about this text. If you look in Matthew... After had begging, Matthew fifteen twenty three says, But he did not answer her a word. He did not answer her a word. This is interesting. That puzzled me when I first read it. Here we have a woman coming with great faith, begging at the feet of Christ to heal her daughter, and he walks on. Doesn't answer a single word. I'll tell you, that challenged me for a minute. Because I begin to think about how I picture Jesus sometimes in my mind. I think of the, you know, the typical Jesus 
sitting down, surrounded by children, petting a precious lamb. We think of stories where Jesus saw people and he, he felt for them and he went to them actually and healed them or preached to them. We hear all of these things and, and I begin to think of, of this um, Jesus in my mind and yet I see here this woman coming and begging at the feet of Christ and he doesn't answer her a word. What, what am I supposed to make of this? It's not, it is not uncommon for God to test our faith so that His glory may be revealed to us and those around us in more abundance. If you look at me in Psalm 66, Psalm 66, verse 10. Psalm 66, starting in verse 10, says this, For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You have brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. Yet uh, we went through fire and through water. Yet you have brought us out of a place. You have brought us out to a place of abundance. It is not unlike God to test our faith for his glory. You see, two things happened when Jesus was silent here. When you, we look in Matthew, it says, um, he did not answer her a word, and his disciples came and begged him, saying, send her away, for she is crying out after us. So in this moment of, of Jesus' silence to the begging woman, two things are revealed. The lack of faith in one party and the abundance of faith in the other one. In this moment of silence, the Jews begin to become impatient with the woman. And by Jews, I mean disciples. Jesus' disciples. Go, woman, we're tired. Get away from us. Go. And Jesus had just before this, rebuked them for putting the traditions of man above the commands of God. And so in this very moment, you see the deep-rooted tradition of the Jews feeling superior to all other people around them to the extent of treating them unkindly. They tend to forget that in Leviticus... Um, where is it? Leviticus 19.33, Jesus told the Jewish people that when you come across sojourners or they come into your land, treat them kindly. For were you not also sojourners in a land and I took care of you? Were you not also taken care of by the Egyptians? So likewise, when people of other group, uh, people groups come to you, treat them well, treat them kindly. And they had clearly forgotten this in exchange for the tradition of self-righteousness. They had thrown aside the commands of God to love other people and be patient with them in exchange for feeling self-righteous. What were the disciples? We just came back from a long preaching and a long teaching. We just argued with, did you just hear the sermon that Jesus just preached? Man, we are all worn out. Please leave us alone. But yet we see real faith when the woman persists 
She persists at the feet of Christ, begging that he would have mercy on her. Jesus answers her in Matthew 15, verse 24. He says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Keep that in mind. We're going to move on from here, but keep that in mind. He says, I, I came only, I was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. Verse 24 goes on to say, But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. Now pay close attention. She said, Lord, help me. And then he goes on to give her the answer. It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. As Matthew says. Again, another moment in this passage where I said, well, that's kind of interesting. Is Jesus referring to this woman as a dog? And let me tell you, being somebody who was asked to come up here and stand before a group of people, it was not easy for me to think through the process of how I communicate to Jesus referring to somebody as a dog. I really wanted to soften that blow a little bit. I really kind of wanted to make that seem a little nicer. But frankly, that's what it says. Frankly, that's what Jesus is saying. He says it's not right that we should throw bread to the dog, or that we should feed the dogs before the children are fed, which is so curious. But the answer to why Jesus says this is in the woman's reply. Back in Mark, I'm sorry, back in Matthew, the woman's reply. says, Lord, help me. She persists to beg. In Matthew, she says this, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Notice what she says there. Yes, Lord. She does not deny the status of being considered a dog. Why do you think that is? He says it's not right that we should feed the dogs before the children are fed. And she says, yes, Lord. She's not denying the fact that Jesus just referred to her as a dog. But she says this. She says, yet even the dogs under the table eat the crumbs of the children's eat the children's crumbs. Because it was not, she, she knew it was not about her status before Christ. She was not concerned about her nobility, her righteousness, how good she was. She was concerned about who he was. You see, this passage is not about who the woman was. It was about who the woman came to. She says, yes, Lord. I know I am but a dog. I know I am but lowly. She knew that. She knew she was unable to save her daughter. But that wasn't her concern. Her concern was to have but a crumb of Jesus' mercy. She knew, Jesus, if I could just have a crumb from your table, it is all that I would need. It's all that I need. I may be a dog, but you are the Messiah. I may be lowly, but you are great. I may be nothing, but you are everything. Have mercy on my daughter. 
And this is the amazingness of this passage. I told you that we would see a kingdom foreshadowed, sincere faith. But now we see Christ glorified. And here the, the, the response of Jesus to this woman in Matthew, Matthew fifteen twenty eight. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed. In this moment of great faith that the woman put all of her faith, all of her trust, she wasn't concerned with the words of the disciples. She said, get out of my way. I must speak to Jesus. You don't understand. You don't, you don't understand who you're speaking to. He is the only one who is able to heal me. He is the only one able to heal my daughter. And by God's wonderful grace, he heals her daughter. See, this woman, this is amazing what we see happening here. This woman asks for a mere crumb, and Jesus gives her the whole table. She says, Jesus, if I could have but a crumb. Remember earlier what we had just read. Jesus said, I came only to the, I was sent only to the lost sheep. What Jesus is saying right here in this moment is you are my lost sheep. She said, Jesus, I am but a dog. And Jesus says, no, you are my child. Jesus, just a crumb. And he says, come eat at my table. You see, when we put all of our faith in Jesus, what we find is mercy. But all of our faith must be in Christ. The title of my message is, What is Great Faith? Great faith is not when we go around um, professing great things. Great faith is not just your theological knowledge. Great faith is not just your uh, signs or wonders you proclaim to have. Great faith is when you say, Jesus, it is all of you and none of me. I am but a dog, but you are able to save. I am lowly, my sins are many, but Christ, you are able to heal me and reconcile me to the Father. Think of that idea of of, of being described as a dog for a moment. Back in this time, dogs were not like house pets like we have. Nice, fluffy, golden retrievers who, you know, go fetch the ball and they're all fluffy. Back in the day, dogs were, you know, like pack animals, wild, mangy, lowly, gross. They wander around the street and people are like, ooh, ticks, gross, filthy. This woman was like, yes, I know I am filthy. But you, Christ, can make me clean. I know my daughter is oppressed by a demon, but you can clean her, Father. You are able to wash my sin clean of me. I know I am dirty. What's so interesting is this woman came and begged at the feet of Christ. I must tell you this morning, if you approach Christ in any for the salvation of your sin in any other form than begging on your knees, you clearly do not know who it is you are speaking to. This is God, the one who is able and the one who is willing. If we would just put all of our faith in him and stop relying on ourselves. There's even an element to this passage where it can be applied to the praying for another. How often do we go out sharing the gospel with that one who is unwilling to hear? 
We go out and we tell them about Jesus and we tell them come here from Jesus, but they're unwilling. I find myself often in the position sharing the gospel with people and getting so frustrated when I feel like I'm sharing and I'm sharing and I'm sharing and they're just not listening. When really what I need to do is keep my faith on Christ. Go to my knees in prayer for their soul. Go to my knees in my room and pray until I find Jesus. Pray until He hears me. Beg for their soul on my knees. Jesus, you know so and so who I've been trying to to share you with. You know the condition of their heart. Jesus, heal their heart, please. Because you are able. Jesus, I can come and I can share and I can teach and I can give and I can I can break an arm and a limb for this person. But it is only you, Jesus, who can truly heal them. It is only you, Jesus, who can truly take the dog and wash them clean and make them into a child. It is only you, Jesus, who has the very table from which they can eat. I have no food of my own. I come to your table to eat. Without your table, Christ, I merely have any crumbs that fall from your mercy. Let me find hope and faith at the table of Jesus Christ. As we Conclude this morning. Go back with me real quick to that Jeremiah passage. Jeremiah 29. Starting in verse 12. I just want to read it again. It says, Then you will call upon me and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me, And you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. Amen. Isn't that beautiful? That if we will only put our self-righteousness aside, put all of our self-dependence aside... And be willing to cry out to Jesus with all of our heart. Then we will find Him. I think it's interesting sometimes how pride sneaks into our lives where we don't even realize it. I find myself in this, in this situation before. And even still sometimes where I think, man, I don't just want to nag Christ about this thing. It's, it's a, you know, He knows my needs. You know, surely Christ doesn't want me begging. I just need to have faith. And and having faith means I just believe He's going to do it. Wrong. Faith means we believe He's the only one who can do it. And thus it drives us to our knees before Christ. If you look with me real quick to Matthew 11... Matthew chapter 11, verse 4. Jesus says this. Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen. The blind receive their sight. And the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. 
And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Notice the who who are those who are blessed, those who are not offended. If we find ourselves as too good of a Christian to get on our knees and beg before Christ for his mercy in any instance, then it may be because the true authority, our true dependence on God might offend us. To say, no, Jesus would never call me a dog. Jesus isn't, my Jesus isn't like that. Well, I'm sorry, that is not the Jesus. Blessed are those who hear that God is all in all and are not offended. Blessed are those who who know that Jesus is not just a good teacher. He is Lord of our lives. Blessed are those who says, none of me, but all of you, Jesus. For for you to receive all the glory, Lord, is all that matters. I need none. I'm not offended that you get all the praise because you are worthy of all the praise. I'm not concerned that you get all the glory because all the glory was yours anyway. I'm not offended that people turn to you for the answers because I never had them in the first place. Blessed are those who are not offended by Christ. So what is great faith? Jesus tells... I didn't even actually read it. Let's read it real quick. Matthew 15, 28. Jesus says, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. O woman of great faith. Jesus commends this woman for having great faith. So what does great faith look like? Coming on our knees before Christ. Believing He is able. And by His own promises, we have hope that when we come, He has told us we will find mercy. When we come seeking a crumb, we will find the whole table. When we come seeking His mercy, we will not only find His mercy for a day, but we will find it for eternity. This woman desired her daughter to be healed And what they both found was eternal life. Oh, that we would have this faith. Oh, that our faith would not be upon ourselves. That we would learn to go out preaching Christ glorified. That we would share in faith. That we would pray in faith. So I encourage you this morning to go out in faith. Learn to be familiar with what it's like to be on your knees at the feet of Christ. Learn to be familiar of what it's like to say, Lord, I may know of a lot of things, but it is no credit to me without you. Father, I may feel a lot of things, but it is no credit to me without you. Christ, have mercy on me. By God's grace, if we put our trust that he has created all things, and in those, and when he created all things, he created man, and man fell and sinned against God. And because of that, 
Every man from then on has continued to walk in sin, born into sin. But by God's grace, he sent his son who came, lived a perfect life, living the example, died and rose again in three days, ascended to the right hand of the Father so that we could be reconciled to God if we would just put our faith in Him and say, Jesus, I know I am full of sin. I know I have wronged You. I know I am deserving of Your wrath. But I trust You, and I want to fall at Your feet, believing that if I can come begging before You for a crumb, I will find a seat at Your table by Your mercy. Let's pray. Oh, Father, I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you for your gracious mercy. That in all things, in the quietness of prayer, in the answer of prayer, in all things, Christ, you are glorified. And that we see you work your gracious mercies when we come before you in all faith. Oh, thank you for your grace, Lord. Thank you for your word, for sowing this to us this morning. Thank you for just giving us an example of your mercy and your word this morning, Father, that we can take this and with hope we can go and pray and live in faith. So, Father, I pray that hearing this word this morning, your church here in Northridge would go in faith. Great faith, Lord, completely dependent on you, emboldened by your spirit, Father, to preach And teach the gospel to live a life glorifying to you, relying completely on you, Father. And that by the hearing of your word and the example, the testimony of our life, Lord, to them, that others would come to faith to trust you completely. Because you are merciful, God. You are gracious, God. With faith of a mustard seed, Lord, you said we could move a mountain. And Father, with asking for a mere crumb, you give your children the whole table. We thank you for your grace. Help us have faith, Father. Give us faith, Lord. Would your spirit empower us to put all of our faith and our trust in you as we go from here on out. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. our uh, communion servers would go ahead and come get ready. Um, Communion is such a fitting thing is in this thing we are continually proclaiming with each other our constant dependence upon Christ. That we are putting all of our faith and we are living by his very body and blood that was broken on our behalf. And in this act, we are uh, outwardly expressing our faith as much as spiritually receiving faith through Christ's mercy in this act of sacrament that he has left for us. Um. I encourage you this morning that if you um, 
do not know the Lord as your Savior, if you have not put all of your faith in Jesus, I would encourage you to uh, uh, not come to the table. As uh, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, that those who come unworthily just drink judgment upon themselves. So if you have not put all of your faith in Christ, please remain. But for all of those who have put your faith in Christ, I want to welcome you to go ahead and come and take a, uh, some cup and bread have a seat and or and then turn your seat and we'll take communion scripture tells us for i received from the lord what i also delivered to you that the lord jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and we had when he had given thanks he broke it And said, this is my body for which for you do this, which is for you do this in remembrance of me. Father, we thank you for your body that was broken on our behalf. Thank you, Jesus. Let's take the bread. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's take the cup. Father, we thank you for the great grace that you have given us in your sacrifice on the cross and your sustaining body which keeps us as we go about this life glorifying your name. Jesus' name, amen. If you'll please raise your hands in a receiving position. Um, My benediction comes from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 through 2. It says, Therefore, since we surrendered by a great, so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Amen.